This is the New Reconciliation Lectio. Dear people of God, as we prepare to enter the season of Lent, let us reflect on the glory of Christ revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Though Jesus demonstrated his divine majesty before the disciples, he did not remain there in glory but descended to walk the road of suffering, offering himself on the cross for our salvation. May we behold Christ's glory by faith and take up our own crosses to follow him. In my conversation with Jim McNeely this week, we explore the paradox. The transfiguration reveals Christ's divine glory, yet it happens secretly before just three disciples. Peter misunderstands at wanting to build tabernacles to equate Jesus with the law and prophets. But God thunders from heaven that Jesus is his beloved son, not to be equated with any other. We consider how this moment is not the culmination of Jesus' ministry, but a doorway to his descent and the scandal of the cross. His dazzling glory gives way to dark silence. The mountaintop yields to the valley of the shadow of death. Jim insightfully notes that Jesus himself says nothing during the transfiguration. His silence invites us, too, into holy quietness, beyond the noise of our activistic religion. We behold his glory, not to give us power, but to draw us into trusting surrender. As we follow Christ from glory to the cross this Lent, may we encounter him anew in wonder and worship. Let us silence our self-focused striving, listening for his whisper that we are fully loved and forgiven. Heavenly Father, your beloved Son was transfigured on the holy mountain, revealing his divine majesty and glory. Grant us faith to see beyond the suffering of the cross, to the radiance of Christ's resurrection, that we may listen to your Son and be transformed after his likeness from glory to glory. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. first reading is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 18. There Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meloah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom then shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host were encamped against me, yet my heart would not be afraid. And though war rose up against me, yet would I put my trust in him. One thing have I desired of the Lord, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the fair beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his tabernacle. Indeed, in the secret place of his dwelling he shall hide me and set me high upon a rock of stone. And now he shall lift up my head above my enemies round about me. Therefore I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with great gladness. I will sing and speak praises unto the Lord. Hearken to my voice, O Lord, when I cry unto you. Have mercy upon me and hear me. You speak to my heart and say, Seek my face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. O hide not your face from me, nor cast your servant away in displeasure. You have been my helper. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord takes me in. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in the right way because of my enemies. Deliver me not over to the will of my adversaries, for there are false witnesses who have risen up against me and those who speak wrong. I would utterly have fainted had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Await for the Lord, be strong, and he shall comfort your heart. O put your trust in the Lord. From Second Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Gospel is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Our prayer for the week. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. lovely. I will say one thing I don't, you know, as a historical note, historically the Feast of the Transfiguration was <coughs> August 6th and then it's been a sort of modern invention. Maybe there's some precedent in some liturgical calendars of moving Actually, Transfiguration is celebrated twice, right? Yeah. But that it's celebrated on the Sunday before the beginning of Lent, which is appropriate, right? That is, yeah. that is the turning point in Mark's gospel, for sure. It's also present in, in Matthew and Luke. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not quite as sharp an axis for them, but it is definitely a major moment and marks this beginning of the journey towards the cross. <clears throat> and so it, it makes sense in terms of the drama of the church year. On the one hand, <laughs> on the other hand, I worry a little bit. This collect makes me, that's a little sus. <laughs> the collect, yeah. Grant that we beholding by faith the light of his countenance may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory, right? I mean, that's fine, except 
that putting it in the context of this pre-Lent, okay, you're like the gymnast there with the chalk on it, chalk on her hands and yeah. <laughs> just limbering up the muscles, right? That's where it can put the, the, the weight. If it's about, we're going we're gonna to spend some time looking at how glorious Jesus is because then now we're going to like work really hard during Lent. Let's face it, Lent is the real high holy day of the whole year. It's the part where we get to be really harsh and emphasize repentance and abstinence and some form of asceticism where we we actually get down to business. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way that it that it plays out. It's pretty graceless and terrible. Yeah, I hate I hate Lent. <laughs> I don't I'm I'm not doing it. You know, join the many people who have given up Lent for Lent. Yeah. Or give, giving up asceticism for Lent. But yeah, so that's that is the problem is that that the positioning of that particular collect in this particular moment can overspecify what our cross is and make our cross into our efforts. And I suppose our efforts are a part of our cross, but not in the way that we expect them to be. And the thing that <clears throat> jumps out at me reading this this year is that okay if the Messiah God the Son were to appear on earth this is what I would expect to happen I would expect him to glow and lightning to be sizzling around his fingertips and, and then this voice from heaven to thunder out and say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing here is that this, it does happen. It's just that it happens in this very secret, intimate setting with what three inner disciples, even it's hidden from even the rest of the disciples. And it's only revealed to this like tiny, little, tiny group of people that are just random fishermen. Yeah. You know? And that's pretty amazing. But the other thing that jumps out at me that's super amazing is that with this carefully chosen inner group, they terribly misinterpret it which is probably why it was made so secret. Because we think if God would just appear mm-hmm. and just explain mm-hmm. everything to us, then, then I would believe us. No, you wouldn't. You, you, would hor- you would take it to your own mm-hmm. frame of reference and you would misinterpret it awfully. And the nature of the misinterpretation is so interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because you have, uh, you have Elijah who is the icon of prophets, and you have Moses, who is the icon of the law, mm-hmm. and they appear, and the normal human response to all this is to equate Jesus with the law and the prophets. Yeah. And to say, he's a law, he, he's a prophet, and he is a giver of law, He's just better at it than everybody else. So let's build these three tabernacles. And that's been the job of the church 
for millennia now is to do what Peter's saying and build a tabernacle for Jesus along with Elijah and Moses. And what you see here is that there is this terrifying moment when they, it is revealed that the thing that Peter is saying is incredibly, horribly misguided, you know, and, and the only thing that thunders from heaven isn't, well, listen to Elijah, mm-hmm. listen to the prophets, listen to the law, listen to Moses. No, there is no tabernacle that they have that is equal to what Jesus represents. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Jesus is in a complete league of his own, and Jesus is the only one that God wants us to listen to. And Jesus is not the law, and he is not the prophets. Right. He is other than them. They are there as a very distant second witness, along with the, the, the inner disciples, to witness the glory of something that is completely other mm-hmm. than the law and the prophets. Yeah. And they are not there as the law and the prophets. They are there as you know, these ascended spiritual beings. Like they are there personally and not yeah. symbolically, right? I know, but they, they are, I think they are there. Oh, sure, they're also symbols. But they're, they're, it's important that they're there as symbols mm-hmm. because those symbols are being, the thing that they represent as symbols are being like superseded by a new covenant. And this is, but this is also, right, the, the personality, a uh, particular personality of Moses and Elijah are important because this is like a rift in the fabric of space-time where the, the God whom Moses saw and Elijah saw in their respective mountains, hidden and veiled, is this very God who in, in Jesus Christ is shining forth his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. That is just wild and, and, and staggering and mind-boggling to think of. Mm-hmm. And so that is another layer, that, the, that it is in their person, in their flesh, that Moses and Elijah see God in Christ and rejoice to see his day. That is the vision that is revealed. And I'm struck, as I was reading these scriptures, of all of the themes of epiphany that we have been exploring in the season come together, but this is not the epiphany, right? As, as you say, this is the, you know, what, this is what we expect, the glory and the power and the light and the authority, and it's all just kind The of, voice thundering from heaven. Exactly, and that this is actually, it, it's not the culmination. The culmination is the word made flesh, like the high point of epiphany is a is is a bunch of smelly shepherds and some <laughs> some lost pagans <laughs> wandering into a stable to see a woman still sweaty from childbirth and the the this infant covered with all the goo <laughs> motionless feeding trough motionless yeah. and helpless and yet controlling the stars. Yeah. That is the epiphany. And this is actually the doorway to darkness, right? Mm-hmm. This is the portal to the descent, the, the God who reveals himself on the holy mountain. 
Yeah, and the thing is that it's so good about the way that it came down, because you expect the transfiguration. God comes to the world. This is going to culminate ultimately in the, in the transfiguration. That's what the human expectation would be, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Mm-hmm. That's what I would think God would be like. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the thing that's so amazing is that's actually not the, that's not the climax Right. The climax ends up being the cross. Yes. It's right. not the resurrection either. No. The resurrection is the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. The cross is the culmination of it all. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's fascinating to me, what I get out of the transfiguration with this reading mm-hmm. is here they are, and here's Elijah and Moses, and here's Peter saying that, and the, just the embarrassed hush that just descends over the whole situation when he suggests that there is some kind of equality between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And that it is just this like incredible authority with which God proclaims from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And the thing that Jesus is standing there for that is not the law and is not the gospel, is grace. What he's saying with authority is, you guys can shut up. (laughs) You can shut your damn mouths. You're not going to equate this. We're not going to listen to the law and the prophets here. Mm -hmm. They don't have a voice. They're here as witnesses. They're going to shut the hell up. They're not going to say a single damn word. They can have their tabernacles or whatever, but this is not a tabernacle situation. This is the shining glory and authority of God saying, I love you. I am establishing an unconditional, inviolable, perfect covenant, only me. It is a one-way love. You have no say in the matter. I do not want to hear what you have to say about it. Mm-hmm. And the law and the prophets have no say in the matter. This is a, an authority that comes straight from God himself that says, you are forgiven. Yeah. It's a much, much great, more authoritative word than the judgment of the law and the prophets over our heads. The, the law and the prophets only represent judgment. But the, the authoritative person of Christ represents mm-hmm. eternal life, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with, with very great authority. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I'm just riffing on that. But No, absolutely. It's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God is not in the glory, just as Mm-mm. in... Elijah, there are the there is the winds breaking the rocks, right? Earthquakes and the fire descends, and the Lord is not in them. Mm -hmm. These things attend the majesty of God, but they are not the majesty of God. And as with, again, I'm gonna. You're right. I know I'm interrupting you, but you're making me think. You're right. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Himself doesn't say a single word? In the transfiguration here, he, Jesus doesn't respond to Peter and say, "Oh no, you shouldn't say that." It's the word from the cloud that says so. And then, 
Like there's no, nothing is said until they descend from the right, mountain right. and there's no transfiguration anymore. And, and then Jesus says, learn from my silence. Be silent too. Yeah. <laughs> and the account of Elijah, I think, is helpful. Back picture, right? Mm-hmm. And that is the exact same dialogue that God has with Elijah. He has before ascending the mountain and seeing the glory. That God says, what are you doing? What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he's invited into this storm. And on the other side of the storm, there is the voice of silence. It says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I think that's really, that's the right question that, that we're posed in the midst of our, our Lenten foolishness, right? What are you doing? What are you doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and and really the our own sense of everything, really, you know, that that the way in which we feel. I mean, that's a, that's Elijah's sort of deep depression. What are you doing? <clears throat> um, I, I think it's interesting too that I really love that, and the the constant drone. When you start talking about the gospel and the love that God has for us and Jesus died for us and it worked and all of it, the constant drone is, yes, but how shall we respond? We have to respond to God's work for us with love and obedience and mm-hmm. you know, purity and repentance and holiness and all this kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, your constant drone about what we should do is answered by that question, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And there is no answer for that. It's not important. Yeah. And back in, to Elijah, God says finally, okay, I want you to go and anoint this guy and this other guy, and, you know, yeah. do these things. And that, that's very easily maps on to that whole, this is what you need to do. God gives you the thing to do. This is, that feels like what every, I mean, what people are usually looking for. It's like, I just want God to tell me what to do. I want to be living in the center of God's will for my life or whatever. And, and you can read it that way. You can read this as, this is God giving his special word to Elijah. Right. So that the story can move forward. Yeah. Right? But there's another way to look at that. And that is, that's just Elijah's job. <laughs> Elijah is actually given the same word the disciples are given, which is just shut up about just it. Just shut up. And do, what, do, do the things that I have given you to do, right? Which I'm not telling you until I tell you. There's a difference between, okay, I need to determine how I'm supposed to respond and what I'm supposed to do here, instead of just waiting and not being worried about it and being led by the Spirit into simple thing, daily mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that may seem completely unmeaningful. Right. Just listening to the whisper. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that the, the work of Elijah, is, it remains hidden from us, like the real significant work. This is the, there's the story work, and Elijah is a part of the story work, but that's just an incidental detail. The real work is, it remains hidden. It remains invisible. It, it remains this sort of strange act of, of passivity, which is the witnessing, 
the glory of God in Christ. Right. And yielding to it. That's right. The witnessing is the work. Mm-hmm. The passiveness is the work. Here's another way to look at it that I think that might resonate with somebody who's listening to this. Mm-hmm. You go to that passage in, in about Elijah, and does anybody ever in the history of the world look at that and go, the important thing here is that Elijah was going to slay so-and-so, and we need to know all the details about the sword he used to cut their head off or whatever, and that... He, he was going to anoint Jehulalel or whatever is, you know, I don't, nobody even knows the name of who these <laughs> people are. All of the things that outflow from that are specific tasks are completely unimportant. Mm-hmm. The important thing, and we all know this, is the story of the voice of God not being in the thunder and the rumble and the, you know, earthquake and all that but being the, the still, small voice mm-hmm. that comes in the quietness. And, and the problem that we have with performances and with works-based sanctification and all that mm-hmm. is it does not provide space for silence and for the Sabbath of not doing. Mm-hmm. It only pressures us into the unholy day of doing not the holy day of not doing. But God himself works in the holy day of not doing, of Mm -hmm. making us passive witnesses, Mm -hmm. of shutting the hell up and just watching God work and letting God be the one who is doing it. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to have a role that you're called to within what God is doing, guess what? It's still not your initiative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we just pile tasks on ourselves that are so unnecessary right, and, right. And, and contrary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard it preached so many times. And it, the point that it's almost the reflexive place to go with this sort of sequence of scriptures is if you haven't been on the mountaintop with God to receive your special commission to the things that God has called you to in this life and made your own personal covenant that determines like the way that you're going to live. You need to go and do that as though we can summon God and, <laughs> and that God will listen to like the bargains that we make. But that is, and it's easy to read that into what's happening here. Yeah. But that is not it at all. It's not and, it at all. And I think, I just think of Second Peter, or, or yeah, Second Peter, where, where that is, that, that can, that could be read as exactly, we're, no, we're confident in this path that we're on that's going to lead to our martyrdom. That's his, he's saying. He, he's aware. Like, this, is gonna end, this isn't going to end well. Yeah. Because we have this experience, right, and therefore we're set, right? Mm-hmm. And that is just, particularly when, when you take even half a step back and just look at the rest of the context, we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rising, rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No. To be silent before the word that is spoken from the Father. Yeah. Right? And to recognize no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
That is the invitation, as you're saying, into the quiet, into the day of not doing, right? Yeah, right. Recognizing that it's not that we saw the glory of God and we have our personal covenant that kind of is the stamp that we're walking in the center of God's will for our lives. Right. And therefore, you better get out of the way. I have the swagger of that assurance of, uh, yeah. of that this is what God wants for me. But that actually, that what we have witnessed has opened us up to not do. And paradoxically, it's th that not doing is the most powerful activity yes. of, of human existence. That, that sense of being carried along in the unfolding uh, mystery of what God is doing. God has done yeah. and continues to do in Jesus Christ. And that is, the, that is the spirit which carries Elijah through the work that he has given that makes that work not work. That he just, he does it and it flows out of him and is not, it, it's incidental. It's incidental that it moves the story along. And all of this, that the real narrative is an invisible under-narrative that is held in silence, that is held in stillness, right? That, that can't be seen because it is so complex as to really tearing open the fabric of time and space <laughs> to witness the glory of all things coming together around God in Christ not as the picture of ultimate glory and power, but as the picture of, of the ultimate revelation of God being, and of humanity, yeah. being one of, of voluntary involuntarity, <laughs> weakness and brokenness and, and suffering that is, that is redeemed in the mechanism of redemption. I think a lot of times, like you think about, you think about this, the, the, trans, the story of the transfiguration, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can you imagine, here's Peter and, and James, whoever, the fishermen, they're fishing. And so Peter's, I am fasting and praying to establish the anointing of God to break through and produce a transfiguration because of my intercession in prayer that I'm prophetically anointed to, mm -hmm. to produce this effect. That did not happen. It did not happen at all. The entire thing was unheard of. They had no idea. Yeah. Nobody had any idea that this was going to happen. There were tiny little hints, but no idea. And then they certainly had no, you can see in the actual unfolding of the actual event of the transfiguration, Peter didn't even know how to interpret it at all. Mm -hmm. And his first inclination was to equate Jesus with the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. And so even, okay, so he didn't wake up that morning and go, I am going to do this. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. You know, and yet the, the whole measure of the way we approach ministry, in my experience, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's going to be this like weird school of the prophets and there's these fake 
stinking apostles. We're going to build our mountain of prayer. We're going to build our mountain of prayer. That's going to result gonna... in a in a 40% increase in God activity in our community. Ugh. And that's not even, it sounds ridiculous and hilarious, but it's real. No, people, I've, I've, that's almost a verbatim quote from, oh, some, from, from a ministry leader. I've it's heard. just absolutely, un, un, it's, it's practically blasphemy taking mm -hmm. God's place yeah. and claiming that you can direct. And, it, and the thing is, it's just weak, it's fake, it's lies, it's stupid. Mm -hmm. And God is a hundred million times bigger than that. I don't want anything that's based on the faithful prayers of whoever. Mm -hmm. I want God himself to step into my situations and mm -hmm. shine like this yes. by his own initiative on his own timetable. Yeah, it makes us the God of God. And, yeah. You know, that we are the ones who are going to get God to work. Like, yeah. By the desperate desperation of our pleas, we're going to cause God to act. Yeah. You know? And the fact is on his own timetable, which let's face it, it took millennia mm -hmm. for it to come to this spot. You know, you cannot orchestrate the move of God. And then when it did happen, it all, you look in the book of Mark, it all happened immediately. Yep. It's very sudden, you know. Yeah. When God's ready to do it, he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. it, is, and, it is sudden. It is an interruption and an eruption, right? It breaks in. Mm -hmm. I love the, some of the classic iconography of the transfiguration, right? Which, mm. Jesus in the center. And the light is shining around him. Oftentimes he's depicted as like this oval of darkness with sort of the rays bursting wow. in all directions. And then you've got, of course, the, the, there's some sort of symbol of the father, maybe just a little bit of light at the top with kind of the dove in the middle or sometimes it's usually a hand. Sometimes there's a hand in some of these icons. I don't know if it's transfiguration. But um, Moses and Elijah on the side. And then the, the, three, the three disciples just like tumbling down the mountain. <laughs> They're in the blast radius of a nuclear bomb or something. That's great. Yeah. But that, that the heart, the heart of the transfigured glory is actually not light but darkness and and a cloud and silence and the strangeness of it yeah and also the other thing about it like here's the voice of elijah we just read it okay mm -hmm. here comes the still small voice and then there comes this dialogue the sons of israel are horrible it's this voice of tremendous disdain and judgment and rejection yeah and of superiority right you know yeah and the law equally yeah it, it the whole thing about the law is that it's conditional and, and ready to reject absolutely. and and ready yeah. to mm -hmm. cast into mm -hmm. the flames mm -hmm. ready to kill absolutely this is why what is required is our silence because all that we have in our hearts everything that we want to add to this or everything we want to harness divine power and authority to is the destruction of those people who are doing it right, it, or, or it may be placed, framed positively, the glorification of us who are doing it right at the expense of those who you know, aren't. Are. Yeah. And then on the other hand, here is Peter who is being thoroughly condemned for stepping in with a single word mm -hmm. into the situation. 
into this holy place where no word is allowed. And the only thing that is being established that shines forth is this light and voice from heaven that does not send them tumbling down the mountain and does not kill mm-hmm. and actually welcomes Elijah and Moses into that space, mm-hmm. but does not allow them to speak yes. and does not allow them to have the authority and does not say, listen to them. It says, mm-hmm. listen to my beloved son. Yes. And that is the only voice we need to listen to. And the only thing that voice has to say is, I will die for you. I will justify you. I have loved you with an everlasting love that cannot be thwarted. Mm-hmm. And that is the vo- it is the voice of light, and mm-hmm. it is the voice of kindness, and it is the voice of mercy, and it is the voice of welcome. Mm-hmm. And it is a voice of intimacy yeah. and, and of inclusion by people that really, honestly, do not belong there. Yes. They are not well-studied. They are not credentialed. They are not leaders of anybody. They are nothing but fishermen, and they are the ones who are welcomed and included into this incredible situation it, in, in this very exclusive revelation. Yeah. Why? And despite the fact that surely God Almighty knew that they weren't going to understand it at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, I read First Peter and I think, I still don't think he got it. Right. right. I know that's probably, I have a high view of Scripture and everything, but you read that <laughs> and it's, it affected him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was still fig- he was still confused. <clears throat> he was still very confused about it. Now, I'm not saying I'm better than him or something, no, but but again, <laughs> what is enjoined is our silence, right? And this is this is all, uh, you know we need to crank up the scandal a little bit because we think of what Moses and Elijah bring to the table. There's the law and the prophets, but it's also a project of genocide. <laughs> we need to we need we need some ethnic cleansing of the land of God's people for God's people. Right. That's right. That's Elijah's that's, that's desire. That's exactly where, where God's Elijah, that, where Elijah's God, why don't you produce some genocide here? And that's exactly where it goes at the end of that story. It's like, okay, go ahead and anoint these guys and... And kill all these others. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And we're going to bear the sword, and don't worry, nobody's going to escape. <laughs> and so this is, like, we could say that this is who's on the Mount of trans. Transfiguration. Yeah, genocidal. Mm-hmm. White supremacists. White, white and, supremacist, genocidal and, and, horror show. And me who thinks that I get it, right? <laughs> Which may be worse. It's worse. And, and that I think that I can say, I've got this. Like, everybody belongs, Jesus. Let's build some tents. Yeah. Because we can accommodate this. We can welcome the whole world. But I can't, but that's not something that I can accomplish. And I don't understand, like, I'm uncomfortable with my own analysis <laughs> yeah. of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that kind of evil in the world needs to be stopped. And I don't want that included, if I'm honest. But there he is, welcome at the table. But there you it know, is. And here's the other interesting thing. It's about- not just welcome at the table. They are sitting at the head of the table where I am there, like, interpreting this and saying, ah, therefore, a gospel of universal belonging. <laughs> I know, but I also think that they're there at the table so that it's obvious that they have to shut the hell up. Yeah. Moses needs to shut the hell up. Moses is not 
who we're to listen to. Yeah. Yep. It is said with such authority here. Do not listen to Moses. Moses isn't speaking. Moses knows his place. Yep. Moses knows that the voice of the Savior is the voice that has the authority here. Yeah. And I, I think also it's interesting that it represents, like, here we have represent, we have this genocidal prophet, fiery prophet that can call down fire from heaven represented. And we have Moses, the giver of the law, represented. But you know who else we have represented? Regular old normal Joes that are nowhere close to Elijah right. or Moses. Right. They don't even pretend to be close. The erotic, electrically charged scandal of Jesus calling them and having them completely drop their nets and just follow is that they're not worthy to be the inner three disciples of the Messiah who ended up happening to be the, the only begotten Son of God that God had in the flesh, and that they're the ones who were invited, and they're the ones who were invited into this intimate, incredible, powerful display of his ultimate authority over everything. And what the authority is for is to include them in that holiness yeah. Yeah. and not to exclude them. Yes. Amazing. Who are they? Who am I? Who are you? We're worse than nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and yet, here we are. I feel like that we are included in this. Mm -hmm. And I don't belong. Yeah. And, and every word I say is just digging a deeper hole. Yeah, yeah. And it's, there's a paradox here. We are sitting here talking about this. And we should just have, we should have a whole, the whole podcast should just be, we read this and then we just sit here and don't say a word for an hour, just silence. Yep. Yep. That was the old style of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Yes. It's quite extraordinary. Mm. Very well, good stuff. May we all find deep silence around these scriptures as they are read and this moment is celebrated as we enter into the season of Lent and prepare our hearts for the great drama at the core of our, core of our salvation and the cross and, and the resurrection. Yeah. Let's conclude our time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, your beloved Son was transfigured on the holy mountain, revealing his divine majesty and glory. Grant us faith to see beyond the suffering of the cross to the radiance of Christ's resurrection, that we may listen to your Son and be transformed after his likeness from glory to glory. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. <laughs>